0: you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me uh, to 2 Peter. We are making our way through the epistles of the Apostle Peter, who wrote two of these around AD oh, 64, 65, somewhere around that time frame. And uh, we have been studying the Apostle Peter's powerful words about the absolute importance of truth and also how we are to avoid, at all costs, avoid uh, heresy or falsity. And, you know, as I was thinking about this sermon this week and and, and looking through this text, I I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, God has always had, He has, and He always will have both true prophets and false prophets in, in His people, among His people and in His church. It has been that way all throughout the history. Even go all the way back to Genesis. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. Come on up to the modern day, to our day today in 2013. And you will always have these two warring factions, if you will. You will have those who will try their best uh, to do what is right, preach God's Word, live for the Lord, and then contrary to that, you'll have those who are are just the opposite. If you are uh, new and visiting our church, we are so glad you're here today. What we do at Great Hills is we... Uh, We take God's Word very seriously, and we do not avoid the difficult text in the Bible. In fact, we enjoy studying those texts, and this text today is one of those. It is a difficult passage, and and I've entitled it a diatribe, which is an announcement or a pronouncement against something. And so Peter gives a devastating uh, diatribe against those who are false teachers and false prophets. And, um, you know, I... uh, I thought about this sermon. I thought, man, this is going to be uh, intense. And then, you know, I got to thinking about the absolute opposite of the people that we're going to talk about today. And you know what? We have so many of those kind of people in our church people who are true, uh, people who walk with God, people who love the Lord, they love uh, their spouses, they love their children and grandchildren, they love their church. And I, I'm just going to brag on one of these for just a moment. I may mention his name, I may not, but I did, I did get permission uh, to do this. Uh, that's good, by the way, get, get permission if you're going to talk about somebody, especially mention their name in public. And um, so, you know, I was reading through Facebook the other day, and uh, I, I came across this post from one of our church members. Now, most of the time, people are kind to Great Hills Baptist Church, but every now and then, you can find some folks on there, boy, they're they upset with something, and they'll, they'll speak a diatribe, amen, against us. But most of the time, it's, it's stuff like this. And I, I read this, and it started this way. Had a wonderful witness experience Sunday evening. I thought, well, isn't that great? This is going to be a wonderful story. Then he began to talk about it. He said, a, a man took out 100 feet of my fence in the front of my farm early Saturday morning, and my cows went everywhere. And I thought, what is so good about that? <laughs> he said, yes, the sheriff called me and said, um, you've got cows everywhere. And, and so he came and they looked at it. Well, what happened is this young man had come plowing through there, lost control of his car, took out 100 feet of fence. But in the process, his license plate fell off of his vehicle. <laughs> and so the, the sheriff promptly went to that young man's house early, early and said, you owe these people an apology. And so that young man, sure enough, he and his parents went to our church member, and not only did they apologize on his behalf, but they also said, you know, we're going to make restitution. We're going to reimburse you for for everything. And then Dave, our drummer back there, said these words. He said, you know, young man, I just got to tell you something. You must have major league angels watching over you. Do you realize that you came within inches of hitting this telephone pole here? And had you done that, it would have absolutely taken your life. And then Dave began to share the gospel with them and the family. And they come to find out, he said, he prayed, I prayed with them. This young man reconnected his life to the Lord. And he says, God turns a bad circumstance into good. And I thought, that is just a great story. Some of our people, some of our members just doing good things and sharing with people and encouraging people. How many of you would have the spiritual wherewithal to do that if somebody took out 100 feet of your fence? Don't, don't answer that question. Let's just keep going. But you know, today we are going to talk about some difficult topics and some difficult people. But whenever I do, I want you to, in your mind, if you can think of the corollary or you can think of people who are the antithesis of the kind of people that we're talking about today. And and I'm I'm going to say, I was supposed to say this later in my sermon, but I, I want to go ahead and say it now. Most of the people today are like the Apostle Peter and like good pastors today. They love God. They love the truth. They love their wife, not your wife. And they love to do what is right. Sex, money, and power... They're not interested in that. They're interested in serving Christ and being true blue. Now, that's most of the pastors and the teachers today in modern Christendom. However, it seems like the media and the spotlight always goes on these false teachers or these false prophets, and so that's unfortunate, but they are also among us alive and well even today. And so I want to read this text, and as I do, I just want you to take a deep breath And think as I read this text. Yes, these people exist, but so do the good guys. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand. And they utterly will perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, Peter says, And these false teachers, they they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, that word "carouses" basically to have a drinking party. Okay, they are, um, he says, blemishes, and they are spots carousing in their own deceptions. In verse thirteen, while they feast among you, and verse fourteen says they have eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. And they are accursed children. Before I read verse 15, let me me just remind you who he's talking about. He is talking about these interlopers, these usurpers who have slipped into the local assembly, the body of Christ, the ecclesia. And what is so fascinating to me, only 33 years removed from Jesus Christ himself walking on earth, these people have slipped into the community of faith, and they are charlatans, they are frauds, They are false prophets, false teachers, and they think they've got everybody fooled, but they don't have God fooled, and they don't have this guy fooled, the apostle Peter. He goes on to say, these people have forsaken the right way, and they have gone astray. And they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I think you see now why I would entitle this message a devastating diatribe. A diatribe, as I said a moment ago, is a pronouncement. It is a criticism or a denunciation of something uh, that you oppose. So what I want to do today is I want to walk us through these false teachers and these false prophets. And I just have to say, if the, if the shoe fits... Uh, then, then, then you have to wear it because Peter is not sharing this with us just because he doesn't have anything else to do or anything else to say. I'm sure there were those who needed to hear a message of salvation. I'm sure there are those in the congregation who needed a message of encouragement, of hope, and they have been depleted and they're so discouraged. But yet Peter takes the time To address what evidently must have been a very noted and conspicuous problem uh, within the local church, and they were these false teachers or these false prophets. So, number one, I've entitled this, this point, The False Teachers, They Are Exposed. And this is in verses 12 through 14. In verse 12, he compares them to what he says: natural brute, a beast. Now, by the way. Peter just, he doesn't hold anything back against these people. He calls them a bunch of beasts, and he also says they are accursed children, and he even compares them to this shady character Balaam himself in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that in a minute. But look at these three words. I thought these were interested in verse 12. The word natural is the word physikos. It's where we get our English word physical. They're very physical, very natural, brute, and that word brute, allegos, means without reason. By the way, if somebody calls you a brute, that is not nice. Right? They're not being real nice to you. They're calling you a—you're just an old brute. You know, and A brute is somebody it just doesn't have the a good faculties of reasoning. And then the last word is the word zoos, which is where we get our English word zoology. He says they're a bunch of natural, brute, beasts, a bunch of animals. These false prophets, these false teachers are meandering around in the local assembly, the body of Christ— and they're like a wild dog or a wild beast or a, or a lion that is on the prow. And, and I know these are devastating words. These are critical words. And yet I think you'll agree that Peter is absolutely correct in calling them out. He says they speak evil of things they do not understand. In verse 10, we notice that they spoke evil of fallen angels, these dignitaries. And we talked about this text last week, and we, we concluded that they spoke evil of things, even spiritual beings, that they really had no idea uh, what they were talking about. But that did not, that did not deter them. Uh, they were so arrogant and so proud, and they thought that they had a monopoly on God's truth, and they were, they were promoting this, this antinomian doctrine, which I said last week, and I'll say it again. It was against the very basic laws of God. And it went something like this. Listen, if you come to Jesus... Man, let me tell you, God forgives you of your sins, and you can go live just jolly well as you please. You don't have any boundaries on you. You don't have any restrictions on you. You can do what you want to do because it's all about grace. Amen. Grace, grace. God's grace covers it all. And so go live like you want to live, and don't worry about the consequences because here's this, there are no consequences. There is no judgment. There will be no judgment. Live as you want to live. And I thought about this doctrine of soteriology. And this doctrine of soteriology is very prominent today. It's the doctrine of salvation that says, hey, believe in God and do what you want to do. There are, there are no restrictions. And I thought about the Apostle Paul when he said in Romans chapter 6, listen to these words. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, no, heaven forbid, certainly not, how shall we who died to sin live any longer uh, in it? He says in verse 12, he says, they will perish in their own uh, corruption. One writer puts it this way the fate of hunted animals is a picture of the fate of the wicked. Now, Peter is not saying go out with your bow and arrow or go out with your machete and kill these false prophets. That's not, there is a religion, by the way, that pr- pr- promotes that, and, and they're They're very strong in that. But I just want you to know, that is not Christianity. Christianity does not believe in annihilating and killing people that you disagree with. Peter's just making it a comparison. He is just saying they're like brute beasts who are captured and and put away. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also uh, reap. And you ever heard this statement, Sin will take you further than you want to go? It'll keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. When I was thinking about these beasts and these false prophets, I came across this story, and this story is so crazy. It's actually true, all right? It's a story about the Darwin Awards. Are you all familiar with the Darwin Awards? The Darwin Awards are awarded annually to people who are, well, of course, Darwinism believes in evolution, and uh, they say, you know, you're just messing up the gene pool because of your idiocy, your ignorance, all right? And so they give them what's called the Darwin Award because these people have done something so crazy that it has actually taken their life, or it almost took their life. True story, the Darwin Award in 1999 goes to a man from Vermont, and his, his full name is... Uh, DeMuth. His name is Ronald DeMuth. He was in Africa, and they were, they were on a, uh, a safari. And there were some Russians on the safari. And this guy from America said, I'm going to demonstrate to these Russians one of the wonderful inventions of America called crazy glue. Do you all know what crazy glue is? Okay, this, this is a true story. He said, I want to demonstrate for you Russians how amazing we are in America and how we can invent something so adhesive, so powerful as crazy glue. Sally was a two-ton rhinoceros who come walking by. And Mr. DeMuth says, watch this. He poured three ounces of crazy glue on his hands. He took his hands and he placed them on the backside of the brute beast of Sally, the rhinoceros. I want to tell you something, folks, it gets worse. And he goes, look, I can't move my hand. Now, Sally, this huge beast of burden. Can you imagine this big old rhinoceros? It's, I'm saying backside. Y'all with me? Okay, good. And, and, and Sally's okay at first because, you she know, she's pretty docile, almost domesticated. She's just kind of walking around. Well, then the guy wouldn't take his hands off of her, and she started getting nervous. And she started galloping a little bit. That's hard for me, but watch this. She was galloping a little bit, and that old guy began to dangle from her backside. And, and she began to trot, and she began to get nervous, and she gored this fence down. She trampled over some goats, and, and the Russians were like, oh, this is not funny anymore. This is, this is not fun. This guy's going to kill himself. Well, everybody began to chase Sally with this guy flinging behind him. What he didn't know was that Sally was suffering from severe constipation. And just that morning, the zookeepers had given her a dose of anti constipation. And she got nervous and she unloaded 30 gallons of rhinoceros diarrhea. Remember, he's on the backside. He is. Covered. True story three zookeepers, they took three shovels just to remove a place where he could breathe. So he. Finally, they, they shot Sally with a tranquilizer and, and put her down, and after much work, they finally removed Mr. DeMuth's hands from this brute beast's backside, and the Russians were impressed with how, how effective Crazy Glue was, but one of them says, we are not going to try it on animals. So, you know, I thought about this guy. I, I, you think, what? what were you thinking? I mean, put crazy glue on your hands and put your hands on one of these massive beasts. You're going to get what you deserve. You, you sow this, you're going to reap this. And really, I know this is kind of graphic, but, but Peter's making a point. He is saying these people are like beasts. They have no conscience. They have no spiritual filter or, or wherewithal or restraint. They're doing everything that they want to do, and, and God, will, God will judge them. He carries on in verse 13. He says, they will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, they They will be punished by God for their deceitfulness, for their immorality, for their foolish behavior. And then Peter further describes them as saying, they carouse in the daytime. And I know there are children in our presence, and I cannot speak exactly what they did, okay? And if children weren't in here, I would tell you as adults what what they actually did in the church that had to do with immorality and sexuality. And these guys were promoting this. They were saying, that's okay. I know it feels a little strange, but it really is okay because after all, uh, Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins. And Peter says, they don't even wait to the cover of darkness, but they commit these heinous sexual acts in the broad daylight. Not ashamed no shame whatsoever, and certainly not concerned about the judgment of God. Peter calls them spots. The Greek word there is spilos. It's where we get our English word to spill. It's a spill or a stain, as if on a white garment. He also calls them momos, or blemishes, defects, or faults. He says they carouse and they have their, their parties, if you look at it in verse 2. Thirteen, it says they are spots and blemishes. They carouse in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Let's stop right there. Let me let me share something with you. You may already know this in verse thirteen. The early church had a practice called the agape feast. And and the agape feast, there must have been some Baptists among them because let me tell you, they just loved to eat and fellowship with one another. And they would come together and they would have they would meet in homes. Okay, so they didn't have these beautiful buildings and facilities like we have. And so they would meet in people's homes, and they would bring food. And as they brought their food, they would eat their meal, and then they would, have, uh, they would have a big fellowship, and they would conclude the evening with the Lord's Supper. And so it was a very sweet time, a very worshipful time. But these guys, these renegades, would come in, and, and Peter says they, they caroused. They, they translated the agape feast into drinking parties, and he said, they also have eyes full of adultery in verse 14. They went to church, and they scanned the crowd to see which women were vulnerable and which women they could seduce and they could sleep with. He said, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't realize this was in the Bible. By the way, there's a lot of interesting things in, in, in the Bible. And one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true is because it does not hold back. It tells us exactly, precisely about human nature. Their eyes, literally in the Greek, is they have the eyes of uh, of an adulteress. They denied the power of Christ, the only one who could genuinely set them free. And so Peter says they are captives. They're captive to their sensuality and to their sin. And then he says they entice unstable souls. Uh, they they entice them. They, uh, you know, I heard uh, this uh, gentleman David Wheaton. He played uh, tennis for. Stanford University is a great tennis player and actually went on and played in the pros. And he said, at a lot of universities today, they break you down morally so they can destroy you philosophically and theologically. And he says that is precisely what these people were doing. They were breaking their students down morally, and so it wasn't a far step to break them down um, mentally and then eventually uh, spiritually. And Peter says they, they're actually refined at their art. He uses the word gymnazo. In verse 14 he says, They cannot cease from sin. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained. Underline that word trained. That is the word gymnazo. It's where we get our English word gymnasium. They practiced their, their trait. They practiced and they rehearsed better ways that they could seize people and take advantage of them, not only of their money, but of their bodies and of their minds. And one writer put it this way. He says, They rested under the curse of God, which is eternal punishment in hell. So these are the false teachers, and Peter exposes them. But I want you to notice next with me, the false teachers, he illustrates them. In verses 15 and 16, he says, They have forsaken the right way, and they have gone astray... And they're following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor. Now, those of you that know your Old Testament, you'll remember the story of Balaam and the donkey. To me, this is one of the most bizarre stories I have ever read. I put it right up there with the floating axe. I put it up there with the sun standing still. I put it up there with one of these Jonah being swallowed by the whale. On an intellectual, rational level... It, it just doesn't make sense. But I decided long ago, either, either the Bible is telling the truth or it's not. And if it's far-fetched and it's hard for me to believe, I will have to accept by faith what I cannot intellectually grasp. Okay, I cannot intellectually grasp a donkey talking to a man. Okay, But this is exactly what happens in Numbers 22 through 24. And the story goes like this. Balak, <laughs> he is the king of Moab, and he hates Israel. And so he finds this false prophet. Well, he didn't know he was false, but his name is Balaam. And he hires Balaam. He offers him money to go and, and pronounce a curse on the children of Israel. And so Balaam says, well, is the price right? And they said, absolutely. Man, we will bless you more than you could ever hold. We'll give you silver and gold and anything else you want because we know you're a prophet and we want you to go curse these Israeli people. And so he, he actually asked God. He said, God, should I go curse the people of Israel? And God said, absolutely, inexorably not. Those are my people. And he says, Oh, okay. And he went back to the king of Balaam. He said, He said, Balak, he said, I'm sorry. I, I cannot curse those people. And then they said, Are you sure? Because I mean, man, we are going to bless you. We're going to provide for you. And so basically Balaam says, Okay, God, I'm I'm going to go do it. And God says, Well, go ahead. <laughs> God says, go ahead. I already told you, no, no, once. But go ahead. And so he gets on his donkey, and he's making his way to Israel. And this donkey sees this angel with a sword on the road. And this donkey stops and looks at that angel and turns around like this to go the other way. And Balaam the prophet beats the fire out of that donkey. He said, donkey, beat! what is wrong with you? And the donkey's just kind of you know, stubborn, you know, stubborn. And so Balaam says, come on, let's go. And so they start walking, and the donkey sees that angel again. This angel's got this fierce sword. And he goes, oh, we can't go that way. And the the donkey's going this way. Some of y'all worried I'm going to fall. I'm not going to fall. All right, I'm good. All right. And so he beats the donkey again, and finally they're heading back. Finally, the donkey just says, he, he sits down. And the prophet is sitting on the donkey, and that prophet Balaam. I mean, he begins to beat that donkey, and then the donkey speaks, and the donkey says, "You nitwit, do you not see that angel out there in the road?" And Balaam is like, "Oh, what is this? A talking, a talking animal, a talking donkey?" And sure enough, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, "Were it not for that donkey, I was going to lop your head off. I was going to take you out." And so Peter compares false teachers with that guy. By the way, that is not a flattering comparison. He goes on to compare all false teachers because, check it out, later on Balaam, the same Balaam, went and convinced the Moabites to seduce the Israelites and they slept with them, committed sexual sin, and God punished them for that. And so here you have this Balaam. Think about it like this. But, well, listen, this is very interesting. One, one guy described Balaam this way. I, I've never seen it quite like this. He was a numbskulled, money-grubbing, heathen seer. Wow. And, and he compares all false prophets because here's the three things that they, that they wanted. And I know this makes you feel a little uncomfortable as I'm sharing this, but I'm, I can honestly say I'm just preaching the Bible. They were interested in three things, sex, money, and power. And those three things, I'm telling you, clergy are not immune to that. I mean, you look through the history of Christianity at clergy who have gotten off the path of righteousness, and they've committed immorality, and they were greedy, and they wanted power. And, I, and today, it is happening even as we speak. And I don't know about y'all, but I think, Dear Lord, I, I pray that you would strike me dead before I try to seduce somebody or try to be money-hungry and greedy and covetousness. And by the way, church, I still pray that prayer. Before I dishonor God and I dishonor my wife and my children, I pray that God kills me dead before I ever do anything like that because it would bring great dishonor and shame to you as a church and, to more importantly, to the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I'm, I'm just convinced of this. I don't want that ever to happen, but I know it can happen because I'm human, and I'm, I, am, I am a human being. Now, I've said this before, but please, if I get killed in a car wreck tomorrow, don't be thinking anything, all right? It's, it's not, okay, it's all good, all right? Every, everything's good. I'm walking with the Lord, loving, loving my wife and my kids. But it's just that, it's just that serious. And so Peter compares them uh, to, to Balaam. And so i got to stop, and i got to say, remember, for every one of these false teachers, I believe there are dozens of true teachers, true pastors, true men and women of God who love God and who love you and want to do what is right. And I, I want to juxtapose these creatures with somebody that y'all have never heard. And I want to tell you a little bit about this guy. He's a bivocational pastor in the great state of Alabama, and his name is Cranford. And Cranford has, last I saw, he has a congregation. Every Sunday, they run about 50. They have 50 in their church. Bivocational means he works um, with his hands. He works a job out in the fields by day. In the afternoon, he runs home. He takes a shower. He changes clothes, and he goes to the hospital. He prepares his sermons. He's literally a bivocational pastor. He's my mom's pastor. And before my mom had Alzheimer's, she was very, very faithful, very active in this little church, working with the children's ministry. And when my brother died three years ago in a car wreck, this man, Cranford, he came to the funeral, he comforted our family, and he gave the eulogy. He spoke after, after I spoke. And I thought about him. Here this guy is. And it's hard. I mean, he, his wife has major uh, physical difficulties. He has many uh, challenges. And I thought about him, and I thought about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said this one time. Somebody came up to him and said, Oh, Dr. Graham, I want to be close to you when you go to heaven because, man, you're going to receive this humongous reward from God. and Man, I bet that just excites you, doesn't it, Dr. Graham? I mean, think about it. When you go to heaven, the millions of souls will be in heaven because God used you. Isn't that going to be great? He says, he says No. He says, let, let me correct you for just a minute. <laughs> and Billy Graham says, I want to tell you about the people who are really going to receive the reward. And it's not me. It's those faithful men and women of God that nobody knows, that nobody sees. And they faithfully, daily honor God in righteousness, honor their families, preach the Word of God, and their faithful soldiers, men and women of God, on the mission field and in our great country. He said, they will receive a far greater reward than I will. And you know what? Last I read, Billy Graham gets it right most of the time. I want to go with Dr. Graham on this one. I believe that Cranford Hicks has a far greater reward than your pastor because he's in anonymity. He's in quiet places, and he's being faithful to Almighty God. Let me close with this word. False teachers, they are exposed by Peter. They are illustrated by Peter. And finally, Peter just comes on out, and he says they are condemned. He says in verse 12, they will utterly perish in their own corrupt. Now, the Holy Spirit's told me this twice, so i got to stop and i got to say something. <laughs> I hadn't planned on saying this, so y'all, y'all bear with me for just a second. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to say this. Okay. Some of you here today are like Balaam and these false prophets and you're within the sound of my voice, and you're sleeping with somebody that's not your wife, or you're sleeping, cohabitating with somebody, and you're not married, and yet you continue to come to our church, I just got to call you out and say, that does not honor God, and I want you to stop doing that. I want you to stop committing sexual immorality, and I want you to repent of your sins, and I want you to join me at the altar today and say, God, we're sorry. We're asking you to forgive us. We're going to separate from one another, and we're going to do this thing right, and then we're going to get married later on. So that's, that's for those of you that you know who you are, okay? And by the way, I've got bodyguards around me right after this service, so don't, don't hit me, don't throw anything at me, okay? Man, it's hard to say stuff like that. Wow. You don't win many friends and influence many people by saying stuff like that, but listen to this. It's the truth. And, you know, my my goal, guys, is to see Great Hills Baptist Church become a radiant church. Ephesians 5.27 says there are no blemishes, there are no spots in your church, but you're all pursuing Christ, and you're all working toward that goal of being the people of God that you want to be. That is my heart. That is my passion. And thank you, Judy Stone. Thank you for reminding me. If God gave me that vision, don't abandon that vision. No matter how unpopular it is, you stay with the vision that God gave you. Hey, listen, some of you here today, God's given you a difficult assignment. You can't abandon your assignment. And just because it's hard doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It could mean that you're doing everything right, okay? So hang in there and stay with the stuff. So he says in verse 12, they're going to perish. In verse 14, he calls them accursed children. And then in verse 17, he says they are wells without water. And and that's an interesting analogy, is it not? And they are clouds carried by a tempest. Um, You know, if you are a well, what should you contain? Help me out, very simply. Water. And if you are a cloud, it starts with an R, what are people looking for from you? They're looking for rain. And Peter compares them to wells that have been sealed off, and he compares them to clouds that have the pretense of rain, but the mist or the wind just blows them away. It reminds me of the story I read this week. I'm, I'm reading a book called The Insanity of God. How about that title? The Insanity of God. Because sometimes, in our rational way of thinking, God just does not make sense to us. Hey, by the way, that's okay to say that. He knows you're thinking it, okay? So go ahead and just admit it. Sometimes, Lord, I just don't understand Talking donkeys, floating axe heads, Jonah's in the wells. I, I don't understand all these things. It just doesn't make, make sense to me, God. And God's okay with that. Well, in this book, In the Insanity of God, the author talks about in Mogadishu in 1992, and he's in Somalia. And he comes across these, these outlying areas, and their lifehood, their, like, I mean, their very lives are dependent upon these wells of water. And what happened, these roving bands came in and they destroyed the wells and they poured sand on the top of the wells and sealed them off. And this author, who can't even give us his name, he writes from a pseudonym uh, because of, of persecution, he says when he went out into these outlying areas in Somalia, he noticed that the livestock, were just decimated. And those that had not died were just, I mean, emaciated standing there. And then he noticed that there were no people in these communities, in these villages. All the people, they left and they fled to the cities because they had no water. They had wells, but they had no water. And I tell you, that is a powerful, powerful analogy that Peter is given. He's saying these people are like wells that have been dried up. They ought to produce fruit of righteousness and life giving vitality uh, but, they, but they do not and it's a similar comparison with the clouds carried by a tempest they overpromised and they underdelivered. and by the way these people in Peter's day they, they died out they did not convince the church of their brand of soteriology and Christianity they died out and I got to read this statement their new teaching was cool edgy And sexy, but it had no real spiritual vitality or substance to it. Okay, I want y'all to know I'm not interested in the cool and the edgy and the sexy. All right, I am interested in the truth. I want to know the truth. Don't you? I mean, I want to know what is really true, and I want to know what God thinks about it. And even if I have to walk alone, if it's what God wants me to do, then I still want to do that. I think that is a good definition of courage. One writer says this about verse 17. He says, "This, If you're wondering what the blackness of darkness forever is, he said, This is hell. The darkness of hell is not merely a room with the lights turned off, but a thick, fierce, comfortless isolation that endures throughout eternity. End of quote. These charlatans, these frauds in their pernicious behavior, they sought personal gratification over against everlasting righteousness in living with God. And it's bad that they destroyed themselves, but what Peter calls them out for is because they begin to destroy other people. I'll close with this wonderful verse. The Bible says, and it's especially a good verse for all of us as pastors, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. You know, this week I I downloaded a new song to my iTunes account, and I'm and I've been singing this song, and it's called I Wanna Live With Abandon. And this and the group is newsboys, and by the way, they're coming to Great Hills Baptist Church October the sixth. And we're probably gonna pack it out, so go ahead and get your tickets and come and listen to these guys. But listen to the lyrics of this Hey, listen to the lyrics of this song. I, this, you know, I, I, I'm by far, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I mean, I'm on the road and God is, is helping me. I'm on the road of righteousness, but I, I fall sometimes and God picks me up. But, but I, I want to be known like, like this guy right here. Oh, I'm tempted to sing it, but it's so high. You almost have to use falsetto to sing it. Chasing after this world makes me tired. Praising my own name, it leaves me dry. There's got to be so much more to life than this. A higher calling that I missed. And then he says, real high, I want my life to count every breath. I want to live with abandon. I want to give you all that I am. Every part of my heart, Jesus, I place in your hands I want to live with abandon. Did y'all get that? You know, a lot of times the word abandon we think is a a negative word. Oh, you abandoned someone. But according to my app on dictionary.com, here's what abandon means. It means to give up control, to yield yourself with no restraint. If you're here today... You say, Pastor Danny, I, I want that brand of Christianity that you're preaching. I don't need a, a brand of Christianity that tells me that I'm okay, everybody's okay, when I know I'm not okay. And I know when I do the things that I do, the last thing I need is come to church and some hair-brained preacher telling me that I'm okay. I need somebody that's going to tell me the hard stuff. And who's going to try his best to not be a false prophet, but to actually live it. Well, we invite you to come to our church. You know, Ashley and I have been greatly encouraged over the last few weeks. Many families have personally come up to us and said, this is our church home. We want to make Great Hills Baptist Church our church home here in Austin, Texas. And we welcome you. We're thrilled. We want you to come. We want you to be a part of what God is doing here as we pursue uh, this radiant church um, to to be the church God's called us to be. Some of you are here today and you're walking with God at a very guilty distance. And, And God called you out today. And he, he is bringing you to repentance. He's bringing you. He's either bringing you to being mad as a hornet or he is bringing you to, to repent and get right with him. And so you can be mad as a hornet and fly on out of here, storm on out of here, or you can come to God and say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I know what I'm doing is wrong and I just pray that you would forgive me and you would give me the grace to do what is right. Let, let me tell you something, guys. When you do that, When you just say, God, I've blown it. God, I've messed up. Would you forgive me? God says, well, wonderful. I've been waiting on you to do this. I've been waiting on you to admit that you're wrong so that I can forgive you and I can embrace you and then I can put you on the right path again. And so I invite you, if you're here today and you're walking away from God when you think you're walking with him, we invite you to come and repent and be restored to God and be restored to our church family. And then finally today, most of you, I'm serious, if not all, but most of you, you, you love this book and you are trying your dead level best to walk with God and, and you, you fall and you got some bumps and bruises on you. But I just want to come alongside you and say, God bless you, I'm with you. It's not easy. Listen, if this brand that I'm preaching of Christianity was easy, this place would be packed. We would pack it out. Because everybody wants a feel-good religion. Everybody wants the preacher to tell them how wonderful they are. But I just don't have that spiritual gift of telling people how wonderful they are. I want to tell people how much God loves them. And what God wants you to do, He wants you to walk with Him in righteousness and in holiness and sanctification and in purity. And when you fall and you bump your head and bruise your knees and tear your leg, whatever, just get up and say, God, I'm sorry, and, and let's go. Let, let's go and let's, let's do uh, what is right. All right, so i want to pray for you, and we're going to have our invitation. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the hard sayings of Scripture. Thank you, God, that today in our nation and in our great city, Lord, we need your word. God, we need the soothing balm of the Scriptures. And, Lord, we need the penetrating, convicting words of the word of God that will say to us, yes, I love you, and I love you so much that I can't let you stay the way you are. Father, we ask you today to draw people into a personal relationship with you. Lord, we ask you to do a great work in our church, Lord, that we would be a healthy, radiant church, that, Lord, you could then entrust us to be a nursery. You could entrust Great Hills Baptist Church once again, God, to be a nursery for the hurting, lost people of Austin, Texas. But, God, thank you that judgment begins first in the house of God, as Peter says. So help us, Lord, to get right, to get ready, to embrace, Lord, this amazing future that you have for us Because, Lord, we know that we are on a trajectory of crisis in our country. And, Lord, we don't know when, but we just know it's a matter of time. And then when that time comes, Lord, and when we have to pay the price of our low living, that, God, I believe it's in those moments that people are going to spiritually come to their senses. And it's probably during those moments, Lord, our church is going to be packed out. So, God, prepare us. Get us ready for those days when hurting people come, Lord, and we can share with them in love. We can speak to them the truth. So, Lord, I want to pray today, and this is just bold of me, God, but I want to pray it that today you would send people to our church and they would say, I, I want to be a part of your church. I heard your message, and I know it's hard, but me and my family, this is what we need, and we're going to come. We want to support you, Pastor, and we want to be a part of Great Hills. We want to tithe. We want to serve. Man, we're all in. God, I pray that you'd just bless, you'd bless us today with that. May it, may it happen even during our invitation today. And I also pray, Lord, for those brothers and those sisters, and they know who they are. And then, God, I ask you to bless them and convict them and draw them, Lord, back into fellowship with you. And finally, oh, God, if there's somebody here today, and, Lord, whether they're watching us on the Internet or whether they're live right here, God, that they have never one time embraced you, that I pray today, Lord, would be their day of salvation. That the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we are saved. And thank you, Lord, that you are saving people even as we speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd ask you to stand up with us. We're going to have our invitation song. We'll have pastors. We'll have counselors here at the front. And I just look forward to what God is going to do in our invitation today. As God draws you, maybe you're a single adult. uh, Maybe you're married. Maybe you're an adolescent child. Maybe you're a teenager. Whoever you are, if God has spoken to you, we invite you to come. As our praise band leads us. Why don't y'all come?